Hello, welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Clayton, the host for today's show, which is being recorded from the Clio Cloud Conference here in Nashville, Tennessee, the volunteer state. But uh, I learned that Nashville is also called Smashville. I think it has something to do with their um, with their hockey team, I heard. Um, also heard uh, Nash Vegas, which I don't understand, but uh, some people seem to understand that. Have you guys heard that? No. Nope. Okay. Nope. Judging by the number of bachelorette parties I've seen here, say, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd go with, yeah, Vegas, so, Vegas-esque. Yeah. So I heard Capital uh, is the capital of bachelorette parties, Capital Country Music. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's all I know. Have you guys heard any other uh, nicknames for Nashville, Tennessee? Not nicknames, but Smashville, uh, definitely the Nashville Predators. It's it's a great hockey scene here. Ooh, and, all right. Uh, right off the strip, so it's a good time. Excellent, excellent. Well, anyway, I got this wonderful panel here. We're going to be talking about uh, starting your solo practice. And so the session that everyone's coming off of is Lessons Learned from Starting a New Law from Austin. Did I get that right? Correct. Perfect, perfect. So Austin was the moderator, and he's joining us. And we've got uh, Joe and Lindsay. They're our practitioners. They started their solo firms. And we're going to be hearing uh, hearing about their life lessons here. And so anybody that's out there interested in starting their own practice, you got two people right here going to share some wisdom. So Austin, uh, I guess we'll start uh, kind of with you. So setting this up, like some of the questions that you're coming up with, what, what were some of the areas that uh, you all uh, delved into? Yeah, it's an interesting question because we had a couple chats prior to the panel and surfaced some pretty important topics around funding, planning, um, getting new clients, uh, systems and processes, new hires. Um, There's a lot of things that other people have already gone through and we wanted to put together a panel so Joe and Lindsay could share things to do, things to be mindful of in order to be successful. And uh, yeah, those would be the main themes. So I guess my opening question to you is like, you know, there's a lot of law firms out there that need lawyers, especially right now. And so why go out and start your own firm? What was the driving force behind that? I mean, for me, I started in corporate law. So been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, did not like it, wanted a full return. <laughs> bought the so t-shirt. here I am and I'm never going back. I'm the hardest boss I've ever had, but it's been the most worthwhile for me for sure. Yeah. And for me, it, it was true. I wanted to try something different. I, I came from traditional, um, not corporate, but big firm, uh, employment law, and I wanted to try non-traditional billing models, and I wanted to try new technologies, and that wasn't getting very far uh, where I was before. So I wanted to go out and experiment, um, and my firm's a little bit unique because it's a nonprofit, so it's a low bono law firm, um, and I wanted to try that business model, um, and another thing that was really an experiment. So I had to step off my own to try that. So you're a nonprofit. What area nonprofit do you uh, focus on, or? Yeah, so we are a plaintiff side employment firm. So okay. we're low bono, which means we charge for our work, but at a lower rate uh, than market. Um, and yep, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we can take advantage of a lot of those benefits and leverage that into more affordable prices for people that can't afford traditional employment lawyers. That Lindsay, you were from corporate law. Did you stay in corporate law? Did you transition? I sure did okay. not, Lawrence. Oh no, <laughs> no, I did. No, I exited stage right. And now I do family law and estate planning. Oh, wow. Okay. Complete 180. Excellent. And do you, you like that uh, way I more? I love it. I love it. All right. So uh, 
budget for starting a firm? And I think this is a big question because people, you know, you look at, uh, they think about office. They still, we still think brick and mortar because we are physical beings living in a physical world, but a lot of legal practice is entirely online. So I guess in terms of just your personal experience, what is that starting budget that's important? How much should people squirrel away before they uh, start their practice? Well, I actually went back and looked at the starting budget for us uh, from several years ago. It was $550 a month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which, uh, I can remember this. It was 125-ish to Clio uh, was one of the bigger Thank expenses. You. We had malpractice insurance. We had. Can I lock in that rate, Austin? <laughs> yeah, you know, I just want to know. It was, you know, it was a couple of years now, so nobody get mad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, truly, it was shoestring budget, um, and we really pushed the idea, resist the urge um, to try and impress anybody with the the brick and mortar or the fanciness. I mean, it's delivery of services, and you can do that um, really with very little resources. So yeah, 550 bucks. It is not that anymore, I'll tell you. But um, we started there, and we've continued to try and resist that urge to expenses, and I think it's helped us. Right. Let's same question, you, Lindsay. How much? Uh, how much did you have to squirrel away per month to make right. it happen? Significantly less than I thought, for okay. sure. And I think it's just about the client experience. And I was speaking before that I had, you know, a, an Apple computer that was so outdated I couldn't even have a virtual background for my Zoom calls. So I sat in a closet and I pinned up a poster behind me that made me look somewhat legit mm. and it worked. It was fine. It was good enough. And sometimes good enough can be done enough and you just go with it. How long did it take before you could make a living at it? So obviously every new enterprise, you got to just, uh, you got to make the investment. You got to keep uh, pumping in the time, pumping in the resources. How long was it before you actually made a living wage in your new firm? I mean, living wage, that's debatable, but okay. <laughs> starting to see the return two to three months for sure. Two to three, wow, okay. Yep. Yeah, I'd say about that time for us too, though. I think that it, that was less the issue. It was more, do you reinvest in it or right. do you start drawing salary? That seemed to be a bigger question. But yeah, I mean, it was only a matter of months. Were there any side hustles involved? Were you like uh, doing like uh, DoorDash or Uber Eats or anything <laughs> to kind of help me uh, make ends meet? Not for me, no. No, uh, you know what? I might have been teaching piano lessons still, actually. Interesting. Maybe. Okay. Yes. No, mm -hmm. I threw myself 100% at it and, you know, on the other half that just relied on my wife to be the supporter for a while, which she was very gracious enough to do. Mm. So we briefly waded into this, but uh, what are those must-have services, do you think? So looking backwards now, and obviously maybe you do some things differently, but if you were to redo what you did to previously today, what are those must-have services that you recommend right out of the shoot? I mean, I absolutely practice management software, absolutely a CRM of some kind, uh, something that's going to allow you to track leads and intake. Something that I mentioned in this panel is you have to plan those systems for the law firm you want and not the law firm you have. There's going to be a time where you can do everything on post-it notes or put it in an Excel sheet. That won't last forever. <laughs> You're going to need these systems in place. Um, so I think those things, while they may be more expensive at the start and you may not utilize them to their full extent, absolutely you have to have those because you're going to need to grow into them. Yeah, I agree with that. Practice manage management software for sure, absolutely. Website for sure. Get on there, post content, post content regularly. Keep showing up so you need a place to do that. How about managing the inbound leads? Because obviously you're working with one client, you got to get that work done, but you got calls coming in during regular business hours. So how are you handling that right out of the shoot with nobody there, just you? Yeah, systematizing, streamlining, leaning into your technology, online intake forms, qualifiers, things like that. Yeah, it can be so efficient if you do it. Somebody calls in and says, when can I have an appointment? Seven emails later or text messages, right. you've got a time. Somebody that can click on a link, book their own appointment, get the information in, you save that time. So these systems operate as almost another person when it comes to intake, so absolutely. 
we did though relatively quickly hire someone dedicated to intake because it is such an important part of um, of bringing in new business. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you can't be answering the phones twenty four seven. Well, you you breached uh, the next one, but I think this is a really important question. That first employee. Mm-hmm. So you know you're used to kind of getting things done your way. You obviously have to make the investment. It means less profits for you. You just got going. Do we have enough to make it the next quarter? How did you make that decision? What, I guess, what factors went into hiring that next employee? When was that a real thing for you? What was going through your mind? I, I waited until it was so incredibly painful that I should have done it <laughs> so, you know, months earlier, right? Um, and I was also extremely careful about having enough money in the bank to support them for some period of time. So, And I do employment law, which means that I see employees who take a new job. It's not stable. They don't get paid. I didn't want to have that experience for my employees. Um, so I probably waited longer than I should have. But I feel like you, you definitely know And you have to look at it not as much as a burden, but it truly is an opportunity to grow. I mean, in every law firm, most employees are a source of revenue. Our intake person, source of revenue, right, for paid consultations and anything else. Lawyers, paralegals are billing. When you look at it that way as a growth opportunity, um, you can get excited about it and you can start to plan that out. But yeah, I mean, you have to know your metrics, have to know your KPIs, and um, you have to be looking at your budget carefully, but absolutely. And you'll you'll know when that point is, but there's no way it won't be terrifying. What was that first position that you hired out for? Intake. Intake. So we hired someone specifically to answer the phones, to handle the calendar for those consultations, um, because you need that that position, right, to get more business and more cases. But also, that's the first impression of the law firm for everybody else, right? Someone who answers the phone and says, um, you know, welcome to the Employment Law Center of Maryland. This is, you know, a great day. How can I help you? That makes a pretty big difference. Same question, uh, Lindsay. Yeah, so I tell people, as soon as you start thinking you need someone, you already (laughs) needed them. Like, like yesterday. So that was how it was for me. Um, you know, I'm in Massachusetts, Taxachusetts, so it's mm. very hard to have anyone that would be really, you know, legally a contractor. So I knew that it was going to be expensive. So you're not just thinking about salary, but the associated cost with having someone on board. So it is scary to make that jump, but it is worthwhile because you need to think that whatever you are charging them, you are opening yourself up to allocate more time to billable hours or promoting the firm or networking, and those pay off uh, astronomically. All right, last question. So uh, creative financing. Every business has to uh, invent ways to stay in business. And so that might be uh, you know, special credit card deals, uh, like we talked about doing DoorDash or maybe <laughs> driving for Uber. Creative financing, just some quick tips there to leave with the audience. I mean, I would say, again, I think that keeping your expenses to a minimum will get you a long way, right? That you don't need as much creative financing out there. Um, And then there are a lot of services that you can unbundle as a lawyer that you really look at what can I do as a service for somebody and how can I do that more efficiently, right? Utilizing technology, especially to make that cheaper, more effective for us. Um, We got by doing contract reviews uh, for people and doing that in a nice systematized manner that was relatively efficient for us. That got us through the first few months and it's still actually a pretty big source of revenue and we can offer that as a standalone service. So thinking about how you do billing, a big piece of this, because you don't have to look at it as an engagement that's going to be tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it's lots of little engagements and you can do that um, and people, it's more accessible to them. So feel right. free. Yeah. Right. And really keep vetting what you have, make sure that it works for you and lean into the technology you already have. So for example, we're at ClioCon, right? It would have been ridiculous if I didn't go down to the success center and say, let's bang out 30 minutes. What can we do? How can I make this a better experience? How can I really utilize what I'm what I'm paying for to the best of my ability based on what I want my practice to be and what I need, what the customers are dying for. Um, so I, I would say use what you have, know what you have before you even think about taking anything else on additionally. I want to loop Austin back in. He was 
so nice to bring you all by. And thank you so much for sharing uh, your story and uh, how you created your businesses, your legal practice. But Austin, was there anything else that we, uh, you know, we need to touch upon? Uh, great information out there for aspiring souls want to get out and start their practice, something we should leave with the audience. I would just add that you should take advantage of all the support resources that are out there for you. Our team at Clio works very hard to produce content that's completely free online that you can take advantage of, webinars, guides, you name it, um, related to starting a law firm. Um, we also have a variety of different support organizations, either through bar associations or, or others that are really committed to helping new firms succeed. So yeah, just get support. Um, don't try to do it on your own. It can be a very lonely journey if that's the case. And um, yeah, a lot of, lots of people are out there to help you. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us. Thank you all. Thank and, you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please leave us a positive review in your favorite podcasting app. Uh, better yet, recommend this uh, show to perhaps one friend, maybe 20. Always good for ratings. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>